This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Uh, today is episode seven of the roadshow just to remind everyone we do have a lot of content out there a lot more uh kind of podcast episodes than seven but the official podcast episode is when uh kyle and i get back together and today is a good day because it's one of those days and kyle <laughs> is back with us so i'm yep. excited i hope you're excited if you've tuned in to be here with us today whenever you're watching this welcome very uh welcome back to the podcast um so kyle how are you Up- update us on yourself yeah, I'm doing pretty good, man. Um, I've been dealing with the uh, graduation of my uh, oldest son or oldest child. Uh, graduated from high school. My wife just graduated from seminary with a Master's of Divinity degree, in chaplaincy. Um, so, yeah, we've been doing a lot of those activities and uh, focusing on that and reflecting on life in general. So it's been good. Yeah, graduations especially um – graduate education especially when you have like family and kids it's such mm-hmm. a it's such a beautiful thing because no one sees how much work that is extra no doubt i i don't i don't know where you were at marital wise uh when you got your master's degree but i went straight through all the way through my phd and a lot of my peers were um already engaged married um some have even had kids yeah, and sure. it was such a struggle mm-hmm. and i don't think people realize that like how how hard it is to balance those things um but how rewarding like the education can be and i know for your wife it's a it's part of a vocational calling yeah absolutely and so um that's that's very exciting for her Mm -hmm. but uh, anyway yeah so um before we kind of dive into our first segment which uh, if you're a listener to the podcast you'll know i just pick uh, kyle's brain about what he's watching because he's always watching something interesting true wanted to highlight some upcoming things for you to check out if you're interested in either art house stuff or non-art house stuff whatever you're uh, whatever floats your boat. Um, just on the non-art house side of things, uh, we've got the Obi-Wan series, which is uh, um, something that we've been planning for here in the Roadshow for a while. Uh, we just had our last um, special episode where we talked about the sequel trilogy. It turned kind of negative, but, you know, that's just the nature of it. It's fine. <laughs> it's a very polarizing thing. Um, Stranger Things coming out also this week, and then Miss Marvel uh, next week. But if you're more of a fan of the art house stuff, uh, there's also a lot of stuff coming out for you. Um, uh, Crimes of the Future, um, which I'd like to get Kyle's um, thoughts on some of the more um, recent news about uh, Crimes of the Future. Uh, it comes out next week, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Elvis comes out June 24th, which is going to be a really great uh, movie. Uh, I, I mentioned to Kyle before I started the podcast that every time I see the trailer and read a little bit about the, the movie, it feels a lot like... Um, Walk the Line, um, which is a Johnny Cash movie with Joaquin Phoenix. And so, um, anyway, but um, yeah, so Kyle, uh, Kane's Film Festival, Crimes of the Future, played. Um, and there's a lot of walkouts. Do you know much about this director or kind of like <laughs> why this is such a big deal? Like, because he seemed to kind of think that this was like a standing ovation for him. Yeah, no doubt. Well, so David Cronenberg, yeah. um, who maybe his most popular movie would be The Fly. Yeah from the 80s, but uh, making movies back into, from the 70s, 
Uh, and he's somewhat a master of the subgenre of horror called body horror, mm-hmm. um, and which is a very difficult um, uh, type of horror for me to care about or engage with. Yeah. Um, and because it is just often gross um, mm-hmm. and um, and somewhat torturous or just you know nasty. I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I think. Um, whatever he's pushing. I mean, it can obviously, uh, like any good horror, um, you know, have layers and, and have something to offer and to kind of wrestle with, I guess, uh, psychologically, philosophically, um, or a number of things, scientifically, yeah. technology, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, it's a hard, difficult watch. Um, yeah. Like, you know, the torture porn of the 2000s. Uh, type so you know you have to be prepared for that and I'm not sure that um, how quick I'll be to engage with it especially if Mm -hmm. I can't maybe be at home and I can pause it or you know take it in small chunks oh yeah uh, or something which is typically how I've had to do any of his movies which I really haven't done very many but he also made a history of violence and eastern promises in Mm -hmm. the 2000s with Viggo Mortensen Oh, uh, yeah. Which were a little, you know, uh, kind of had different Eastern promises like Russian Mafia, History of Violence was more of a uh, family kind of drama. And so less of the body horror kind of um, mm-hmm. stuff, even though that's probably in there as well. But all, all that to say, yeah, yeah, tough watch. Yeah, this is something I've always pondered with film because I, I struggle with the same thing. Um, I have a friend who relentlessly keeps trying to get me to watch um, Human Centipede. And oh I, yeah, I, don't I, do that, man. Nope, nope. You can't, <laughs> you can't unsee it, right? No doubt. Or like the Green Inferno. I don't know if you're familiar with that film. No. Um, I think that's an A24 film. Um, I want to say, but I, I, I oftentimes just lop stuff into A24. That's probably yeah, not for sure. <laughs> and and so I just, I mean, right. and I, I'm not saying that like there isn't a place for that, but I wonder. And this is just a general question I didn't prep you for, but I'm just sitting here thinking. Yeah, about for it. sure. Um, is there a place for the grotesque in cinema? Like, obviously, you know any answer to this might sound prudish but at the same time i do struggle with it and i i don't mean to make that sound like i'm prudish i just you know the body torture that you're describing like i remember watching the fly the first time and the scene where he kind of like crushes his head right mm-hmm. like just i think it's stuck with me right yeah. it's one of those kind of like moments of trauma that you experience in cinemas and stuff like that but um is there a place for it what do you think yeah i mean i'm uh, so I guess yes and no. I mean, I lean into the no. I like mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, going back to Hitchcock um, and him having to deal with censorship was a creative, uh, 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 something he embraced creatively. Right. Right. To be able to, to uh, what he shows and what he doesn't show, what he doesn't show is just as important. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, this, the, all these levels of desensitization, which will be a theme we'll talk about here to come in this uh, Beast of No Nation, um, in terms of violence. But in general, it does feel like a human centipede definitely feels just like exploitation. What can I get away with? Uh, what's, you know, what haven't we done yet? That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and it really has nothing to offer and comes back into just, again, an expression of like nihilism. And oh, I don't yeah. care what impact this has, or I just wanted to create the next, uh, thing that people will watch because it gets, you know, it's mm-hmm. trending or, um, it's somehow different or something. Yeah. Where Cronenberg, you know, is a little bit more of an, um, you know, auteur, 
and because I don't even know who directed the Human Centipede, but yeah, um, but it's a little bit more of an auteur in the you know body horror place, and was more interesting in the seventies and eighties when you still had interesting special effects, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and but today's they have just you know escalated into. Uh, again, something brutal, um, and and I don't know how or why that's necessary, except to just say this is the way I see the world, and mm-hmm. I'm wanting to uh, project that onto you. Yeah. Um, and so I don't un- I don't really understand that. Yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those things that I mean, for example, like there, obviously there's different kinds of gr- forms of the grotesque. I, you know, I think about like Beetlejuice, right? That's one form of the mm-hmm. grotesque. This is another. I mean, yep. to a different degree, and so. Um, you know, like Tim Burton, right, has a very grotesque kind of feel to a lot of the stuff he does, but um, you know that doesn't ring the same. And so, like, yeah, no, for I sure. guess it's uh, as with anything, it's the ends towards which you mobilize the grotesque, um, you know, and things like that. Because there's, I, I mean, it's not even not even just the grotesque, like watching difficult things in cinema that are trying to mm-hmm. represent the realities that a lot of people face. Like I think about even like the Marriage Story. I don't know if you saw that yeah, did, Netflix yeah. thing with. Yep. Um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Yep. That was really difficult for a lot of people. Um, like I had a friend who was uh, going through a pretty nasty divorce uh, and tried to watch that, and it was really yeah, that triggering. Would be just cause well, no doubt. Yeah, and so I mean, in some sense, like obviously, know know yourself before you go into a film. Um, but it's it's interesting just to think about that because uh, you know, I mean, obviously, this like you said, this crosses over a little bit with what we're doing today, trying to accurately represent. Um, you know what a child soldier goes through um in some sense kind of like a refugee too as well like a yeah a child um experiencing the trauma that um agu did in this film and so um what's the place of that what's the role of that you know and and how does it really work um but speaking of before we kind of transition i, I did want to ask you two questions mm-hmm. uh, and it's with a within our broader segment what are you watching kyle yeah um and you posted on um social media about uh, Sin Nombre, uh, which is by the same director that yep. does the uh, does Beast of No Nation. And so I wanted to pick your brain about that. But just really quickly, this is fulfilling a promise to our listeners that I made um, during the uh, last Star Wars podcast. I did want to get your opinion on the sequel trilogy. Um, it doesn't have to be super long or nuanced, but um, do you have any kind of knee-jerk reactions when it comes to uh, the Disney era of Star Wars? Yeah. Um, so, which trilogy are you referring to? The uh, I'm talking about the episodes seven through nine. So, uh, yeah. uh, Force Awakens through Jedi, mm-hmm. Last Jedi through Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I can say I enjoyed them, and I think I went, I reacted uh, the most to the Last Jedi as most people did, and kind of didn't like it at first, and came around to it later mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm less combative overall about Star Wars. I think I've just found a way to enjoy it um and and take it for what it is rather than uh needing something that's right yeah (laughs) right i i i i bless you for that because Mm -hmm. i wish i could feel that um but Mm -hmm. i i i i I think i appreciate it in my own way too but i think you're right it's it's one of those things that like you just need to detach from it yeah um and that's kind of good but anyway tell us a little bit about this uh Sinobre that you um kind of engaged a little bit um if you're interested to hear a little bit more of kyle's thoughts on that um uh, visit our twitter uh, we have retweeted kind of his own um opinions on that and also you can check out his 
his Twitter at cinema1978. But give us some yeah. uh, thoughts on it. Um, you know, why should someone pick this up, especially if they're considering Beast of No Nation? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, um, obviously, as I just mentioned with Cronenberg being an auteur, I enjoy kind of seeing uh, what directors bring to the table in terms of themes mm -hmm. and uh, visual qualities and qualifications. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just what what do, what do they bring? And obviously, so Kerry Fukunaga uh, also made the most recent Bond, uh, mm. No Time to Die, which I've not seen, but oh, wow. uh, it's higher on my list now, having seen these two. He also directed the first season of True Detective, mm -hmm. uh, and I believe wrote um, as well, which is an interesting wow. Uh, I love TV that series. show. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first, first season that is. That's right. Yeah. So he wrote that. So, uh, but <clears throat> his very first. Um, production of anything was seen Nobre, which is something for two years he apparently researched mm -hmm. um in uh central america primarily uh people who are immigrating and and the various gang activities um and gang members he spent time with just trying to understand their world in order to develop this narrative that he wrote mm -hmm. and so impressive for a you know first time uh mm -hmm. writer director uh, and has a very, you know, so he tells the story of a family, a father who's returned, who's actually uh, got deported, but had started a whole other family in New Jersey. Uh, but but getting, being deported, came back to get his uh, brother and his daughter to uh, take them from Honduras uh, up through Mexico to cross the border. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's their journey. Uh, but the movie begins... Uh, with this character named El Casper, which is translated as treasure bearer. Oh, wow. Um, and he is uh, immediately seen with a cross around his neck and a cross tattoo on his hands uh, that speaks to his kind of projected character. Mm. Uh, and he's looking, so this connects with Beast of No Nation, but he's looking at a painting on the wall in the first image um, that is... Uh, trees, but all the leaves on the ground are red. And mm -hmm. um, we have that kind of scene um, also in Beast of No Nation. So in a way, he's it's kind of uh, uh, suggesting, you know, he's already he's starting out in hell. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you get this, again, very much realism, neorealism around uh, who the gangs are and who the, the opposing gangs are and how gang life mm. works. Uh, initiation with a younger boy mm. uh, that also has a lot of uh, parallels with Beast of No Nation. Uh, but anyways, of course, um, this character, El Casper, uh, ends up colliding with this family immigrating once they're in Mexico mm -hmm. uh, on the train, and uh, their story um, unfolds from there yeah but anyways so a significant catholic subtext to the story in terms mm -hmm. of the spiritual journey that's happening uh, and how all that plays out and how el casper becomes kind of a christ figure uh and how america and so i've watched a number of these mexican border movie themes uh, or themes dealing with that um and this one's a significant one because there's really no white characters in mm. it no border patrol to really uh, navigate. And America, more than <clears throat> I've seen in any of these other movies, especially when they focus on the immigrants, mm -hmm. uh, America is the promised land. Right, okay. Um, and and uh, is very hopeful, where 
other times that will be true as well, but then they'll explore the different barriers, mm-hmm. the e- especially illegal immigrants experience once they're in the country. Yeah. So anyways, but Sinobre is a very like tight, tightly woven spiritual mm-hmm. narrative. Mm-hmm. And in addition to being very much this neo-realist experience mm-hmm. um, with the characters you're, you're rolling with. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, for our listeners who may not know this term that you used and maybe also, but probably definitely your co-host, can you give like a brief definition of auteur? Yeah, auteur is just French for author. Okay. Um, and got introduced because it was French critics, film critics, who initially introduced this idea of Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock um, as auteurs, mm-hmm. meaning, uh, and John Ford, um, as directors who aren't just functional part of the team, uh, but very much are, are presenting a visual quality mm. and visual themes and visual expression um, that seem unique to that director. Mm-hmm. Um, and so auteur is um, just kind of sums up that this mm-hmm. person is more than just, you know, a Netflix employee That's right. directing a movie, <laughs> um, but they actually offer something specific, uh, either visually or thematically. Well, that's awesome. I, and one of the things that really caught me in your kind of description of, of the film, at least that I'm caught up, I'm reading um, a, a, a kind of an essay on a trilogy that I really like. Uh, of course, now it's a quadrilogy. I haven't read the fourth book um, by a woman named uh, Marilyn Robinson. And she wrote this uh, Gilead trilogy, which is a really excellent trilogy. Like I said, now it's a quadrilogy. Um, mm-hmm. And the essay that I was reading about the, um, the books talks about how good storytelling um, tells us things that um, maybe the character doesn't even know um, and maybe the things that we need to know without having to be like explicit, like having like monologue or like dialogue that kind of says, hey, this is what you need to know about this person, but mm-hmm. in subtle, not so subtle ways. And so it sounds like the, uh, the theme of Catholic spirit- spirituality is one of those things that the storyteller is giving you without kind of like being um, really upfront about it yeah right the subtlety of it is important mm-hmm, um, for and, sure and especially like the the idea of um so much of of the conversation around immigration today can devolve into some really um unfortunate kind of caricatures and things like that anything that can humanize or at least locate or help us understand and contextualize ourselves within the world I, the one of the th- a thing i've heard long time ago from a, a movie critic that really stuck with me i can't even remember the name of the critic but um, was that the best movies are ones in which you can find yourself in the story and then you can also put your world within the story mm-hmm. um, to see kind of what doesn't line up and that kind of stuff. You know, and um, one of my favorite theologian talks, theologians talks about the Bible this way, kind of like it's not about bringing the Bible to the world out here, but kind of placing our world in the context of those pages and feeling the things that they feel and um, going through the um, anxieties and, and stories and failures and successes that they have. Um, you know, and that's always been one of the things I think I've told you before that I love about movies is that you know, a great story, like you find yourself next to that character, maybe not even the main character, and celebrate with them in their victories. You mourn with them in their losses. And you know, it's just one of those mm-hmm. things that I, I find really compelling. And it sounds like this is a, would be a great kind of like option for doing that. And that kind of thing. So absolutely, and I also posted on Twitter an entire list of movies, short list of movies that deal with this uh, Mexican border theme mm-hmm. tension. Some of it is includes some of the spirituality. Other, it's others. It's more political. 
Um, but all of it's very interesting uh, movies going back all the way back to the 40s and 50s, but primarily most of them from the 70s onward. Yeah. And the top five or so, you know, are very, I mean, just great movies, I think, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with this subject matter from both sides of the border, yeah. if you're interested in digging into that. Yeah. And so there's a lot there to dig into. It's summertime, so it's time to get those movie playlists out. That's uh, right. And so this, it's no better time to start digging into uh, Western Border Patrol, uh, border uh, genre than, than uh, this time. So with that said, let's go ahead and dive into this this film. This is kind of one of the last films that we've been thinking about since january i think we've had this as kind of like a slated schedule and so we're going to kind of move into a summer schedule here and um, there's some exciting stuff coming um, in the art house uh, roadshow i don't want to spoil anything so um, just stay tuned to Mm -hmm. our uh, our social media and um, to the podcast itself and you'll see some stuff coming out but this is yeah this is our last one that we planned on uh beast of no nation it's a it's originally a book um and it's been converted into a movie uh, and it's really just central centers around uh, conflict in, in West Africa and the experience of a, a small child, Agu, who got, kind of has becomes destabilized, loses kind of family and eventually becomes even a child soldier. And so it tells a very gripping tale of like the loss of innocence in a way um, and yep. the kind of development of like what it means to um, like willingly, unwillingly be a part of something that you don't really even understand you know in some sense like uh well and we'll get to this like a goo kind of get, gets caught in um uh gets caught in a, some very precarious situations and he just needs durable networks and the only one he can find are the rebels and and the only father figure he can find is the commandant and you know it's uh Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. It's hard to watch. It's really difficult. If you're looking for something easy and relaxing at the end of your day, this may not be it. Um, <laughs> nope. But it is It is powerful in its own way, and it definitely communicates some really important themes about war, trauma, childhood, all that kind of stuff. And so um, I think that um, it's it has a very interesting story to tell. But kind of what are your some of your opening thoughts, Kyle, on Beasts of No Nation? This is not something that you had watched before um, uh, covering it here for the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, and I think 2015 when this movie came out um, was around the time I started to shift in some ways in how I watched movies and and what I was looking for and 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 kind of the more again as we talked about with Cronenberg some of the more brutal kind of movies coming out um, and as I've uh, come back to a, a number of movies uh, the one you know Joker obviously that we right. reviewed on here. Um, just being brutal and difficult um, and not offering anything beyond that. Um, and so it's something I'm obviously still critical of and I was worried about with Beast of No Nation. Um, but Beast of No Nation, again, like Steen Nobre, I think uh, Fukunaga is trying to his best, and I assume uh, this is likely a part of the book as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be interested to know, you know, certainly if not. Um, but the film is bookended, basically with the church, with the Christian yeah. church um, and uh, and Christian figures as a part of uh, those two parts of his story. Uh, and in between, it's basically hell, right? So the right. loss of innocence um, is very much a, ends up being a story of transformation, um, but so difficult um, and mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, brutal in, what we experience with Agu is man. Um, it's hard to it's hard to appreciate the spiritual construct of what I think 
Fukunaga is doing, which I can speak more to in, within the movie itself, but um, yeah. hard to embrace it the way that Sin Nobre uh, made that um, much more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you could connect with the characters and Sin Nobre in a way that you really, I struggled to do with Beasts of No Nation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the spiritual nature of this is a little bit different because you have the kind of Catholic spirituality that has like some clear kind of markers throughout. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine. I haven't seen Sin Nobre. But here, you know, the only kind of access throughout the film are the prayers that this child prays, um, which change dramatically. And I, I know towards the end, it's it's interesting because he stops kind of addressing God mm-hmm. um, in, you know, like directly. But the, the prayers are kind of shifting and becoming themselves more reflective of the pain that he's feeling in those moments, you know, because early on his prayers are like, God, I would like to see my mother again, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And so it's, it's interesting to kind of see the spiritual nature of this. It's, it's fascinating because in my mind, like, I don't know why this is something I keep, I'm stuck in a rut on, but it's, it's Sin Nobre, Beast of No Nation, and then No Time to Die. <laughs> like, you know, those sure. James Bond. Now, I loved that James Bond yeah. movie. Don't get me wrong. It's my, it's probably my favorite one since uh, Casino Royale, but um, fantastic stuff. But it's interesting to kind of see him wed this spiritual element into the narrative in some sense but mm-hmm. um sure yeah it's 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 a for for me the thing that stuck with me is 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 those progressions of prayers that he he makes towards the end and it kind of culminates in that final scene where he's talking to and i don't know her function in the in the actual community of um kind of I, i'm assuming boys that have been recovered as uh child soldiers that are now in this kind of like educational house very much connected to the church and, mm-hmm. and he says you know if, if i were to tell you about what happened you would think of me as a beast mm-hmm. you know, or devil and a devil says, yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. and so it's it's one of those things that um like that's 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 kind of the the spiritual trajectory of what he's going to but the last scene and you know this is this is me borrowing from Kyle Myers. So if I'm stealing your thunder, then no, this, go, go is, for this it. is your fault. Because you taught me how to see this. <laughs> the last scene is, is him diving into the ocean, mm-hmm. right? So kind of like a connection to baptism. Absolutely. Uh, renewing and cleansing and things like that. So Kyle has actually <laughs> influenced All his right. co-host to see movies differently already. And so I love that kind of yeah. uh, that metaphor there at the end that like healing is something it's palpable for him it's not yet realized mm-hmm. and i know there's that kind of eschatological theme there too and so i'm i'm really fond of 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 that portion of it but i mean you have to go through some tough stuff and i remember thinking at one point in the film well it can't get any worse than it is right now and then it immediately does three times over yeah for sure <laughs> so absolutely um anyway just kind of diving in a little bit you know we we're not going to do a full you know plot summary of the film mostly because if you want to watch this film we want to save some surprises for you but the big overarching kind of, I guess, theme, other than the spiritual um, elements that uh, Kyle just described and kind of hell in the center is characterized by violence and death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the main character starts out in this village with, you know, family and is happy and has friends and creative and all of these really great things. And then um, very quickly, I mean, just almost like quicker than you can imagine, uh, he finds himself in the bush, um, alone, hungry, trying to survive, runs across some rebels and is recruited. But yeah, it's, it's this um, thing. And I, I think that um, violence itself is obviously something that you and I both, from different perspectives, you on the kind of the mental health theological side, me yeah. on the um, Christian ethics side, um, think, of, think about pretty heavily. Um, 
but violence in this movie is a destructive and creative force. I think I feel like people don't really appreciate oftentimes like how violence actually not only destroys but creates because it creates and not not positively. I'm not trying to say it's yeah, a positive sure. thing, but it's a it creates a new kind of being, you know, and you see that in this character who, you know, is this playful boy turns into this hardened soldier who experiences this really tough stuff and you know that increases throughout the film mm-hmm. um but i mean what what do you take because we just talked about the gr- grotesque theme here early on in the uh, podcast but what do you do with this kind of violence and everything because obviously it's trying to paint an authentic picture of what it's like to be a child soldier um but you know it's still it's it's, it's difficult so what do yeah. we do with this yeah, well, I think, um, <clears throat> one, once he goes into, and I want to talk a little bit before uh, he goes into the bush, but uh, but the bush is essentially an into the wild, mm. uh, into the wilderness experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, again, Christ in the wilderness spiritual experience, but this one is, is like going into hell, basically. Right. Um, and so there's all kinds of distortions about this wilderness experience. Mm-hmm. Um and there's <clears throat> almost immediately once he's uh, captured by them mm-hmm. and accepted by uh, the commander that they go through this initiation, which is kind of a voodoo uh, initiation into, you know, can one of, the, one of the members going through it does not survive. He's right. killed because he's not strong enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those that are um, are celebrated. It's a right. Right, rite of passage. Uh, and he's even <clears throat> uh, buried into a grave at one point, uh, mm-hmm. suggesting again, like this is your death. And then, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the voodoo doctor says, uh, or priest says, you know, you're being reborn. And so mm-hmm. there's that into it, but it's all very obviously dark and distorted. And then they have the initiation kill, where he has to kill uh, one of the um, other, whether it's the government or um, another group of rebels that they stop. Uh, mm-hmm. And they kill and they take all their things. Right. Uh, one of them's still alive, and then you know he's given the opportunity, uh, not with a gun, but with a machete to to kill this person, which mm-hmm. is a very terrible scene. Yeah. And there's a similar theme in Scene Nobre with uh, the the younger child member having to also commit an act of murder in order to be accepted into the gang. Mm. Um, and so you have that initiation, and then you have uh, what's revealed as this grooming. Uh, by the commander, he talking about um, obedience and submission, and how this is important if you're going to be a leader. And he's giving them all this information, like um, even though the child Agu is saying, "I'm a follower, I'm not a leader," right? He continues to tell him, "No, no I can tell you're a born leader," you know, mm-hmm. and all giving them all this credit, which ends up leading into this sexual abuse right uh, situation. Um, and the whole thing again, and then drugs become involved next, right? right? Whatever the uh, kind of the brown crystal powder, meth yeah. or whatever, yeah, that 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 it, that they are using. So it has a whole pimp prostitute kind of. This is how that world mm. works. Yeah, uh, where you find somebody really vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, you you get them to like you, trust you, believe in you, whatever. And for him, for Agu, the father figure. Uh, and then you exploit that, and then mm. you get them addicted, and then mm-hmm. you know you own them, right? Right. So you see this whole thing happen uh, becomes again this hell for this child. Uh, that then he this is his world now, mm-hmm. um, and you know violence becomes a natural um, expression out of all of that. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I think is is really interesting in terms of um, you mentioned like the 
I, in some sense, there's a really great parallel. And I know, I know that you've worked with um, this demographic uh, more closely than I have, even though um, I've, I've tried to work with them as well. It, it has mm-hmm. a lot of parallels between trafficking, like you said. Absolutely. Um, in terms of like the, the, the way that it's, 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 it actually expresses itself in more cases than not. Um, it's not the taken scenario, um, but it's, it's very much kind of like locally grown, sourced, groomed, as you said, yeah. person into a different kind of thing. And so it's, it's interesting because um, the, th- the, the spiritual themes at the beginning, like the, the pastor in the church um, and the whole community kind of there and the kids sitting in the altar or sitting in the um, um, seat and when he gets separated from his mother and she tells him to pray every day mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, one of the elements that brings in my mind, especially the, one of the questions I think I thought is the, the idea of like, you know, what do we do with just how the, the sheer horror of the, of the world um, and justify that with a, a good and loving God. And, and that's the, the, I think that's something that he struggles with internally himself mm-hmm. because he witnesses all of this bad stuff and he finds it, it, he's descending deeper into it mm-hmm. throughout the film and his prayers often go unanswered. He, he, he expresses kind of that in his own, I think kind of like pessimism and sadness and you know, that scene of the, um, and you feel at some point he feels unworthy. Yeah. 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 Like that's the, I think that's also, and, and when we get to talking about the end of the film too, where I, I, I think a lot of the soldiers are, um, kind of raising a muck in that, um, town. And there's the, I think his name is preacher, um, mm-hmm. is trying to get the boys to go back into the military because he's only ever known the soldier's life. He's a little bit older than Agu, the main character. And so, um, but uh but yeah like he's he i think that's the only life he's ever known he wants to go back into it because he thinks that's he's a soldier he's you know that's a valorous thing to do to fight because that's what he's been kind of trained to think and so it's very interesting to kind of see like yeah the unworthiness of it you know there's that scene where i i love the 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 camera going from the bible that's kind of being used as the paperweight for you up to the teacher just telling him be like you know just give it time and he's just very much like non-receptive, nonchalant, that kind of thing sure. in response to it. And so it's quite fantastic in, in terms of how it's able to illustrate the internal. Like I said, a great story tells you things about the the main character maybe that um, they don't know, but that you need to know. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be quite compelling. Um, and the story, I think, you know, it deepens my resolve in terms of this idea that violence itself um, can be... Uh, it's just a deeply formative thing and that nonviolence is the only way to heal violence um more violence you know I, I think that's the the scene that also sticks with me too is the whoever's the head of that school he when the kids are burning things down he's just at the side like you don't have to do this right mm. he doesn't try and restrain anybody he's just trying to be a voice for peace in that yeah. moment and yeah sure and that's that's the i'm assuming what would be the healing of Agu going forward but um, I, the, the, it's hard not to talk about this, um, film and, you know, as of the, de- the time that we're recording this film, it's, it's about a child who experiences great violence and suffers great violence and has to, you know, reap kind of the consequences of people that he's never met. Because obviously this is about an unstable West Africa and politicians and armies fighting and this child kind of caught up in the middle of it. Um, and as of recording this podcast, there was a, a major school shooting in Texas um, where uh, I, I, quite a few children lost their lives and a few teachers as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and and I, I don't want to, for a couple of reasons, and this is, this is me 
not trying to um, <laughs> limit what my my brilliant co-host um, has to offer here. But you know, if you're wa- listening to this podcast, um, you know that one of our things is mental health and spirituality. Um, and here we have access to a you know an excellent top rate um, <laughs> therapist <laughs> and stuff like know, that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, from where I sit, uh, top rate. Um, and so <laughs> you know, and and in some sense, like I'm not asking for the mental health side first, but as, as you're kind yeah. of thinking about this movie in the times that we live, how would you contextualize this for our audience in terms of like, this is childhood trauma. And like I mentioned before the, before we started the podcast, like I watch a lot of films with violence in it. Obviously, um, if you've listened to the podcast recently that I've covered a lot of films with violence in it. Um, this one is just so um, jarring because it involves children you know, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things that keeps us, shakes us to our core because a couple of weeks ago there was a shooting in Buffalo and um, now the shooting in Texas, I feel like is, is, has really shaken a lot of people to their core because it involves children, you know, who are vulnerable themselves. And so um, Kyle, can you help us contextualize maybe not even just this movie or like uh, help people who are listening, who are kind of themselves struggling? Like what, what do we, what do we do right now? Like what are the things that we need to be thinking about for our own mental health? Mm-hmm. own trauma that kind of stuff but anything you can offer us yeah <clears throat> well obviously stay off the internet <clears throat> that would be the first thing mm-hmm. um and only read you know uh your primary resources but the <clears throat> but obviously this continues to be multifaceted mm-hmm. and uh in so many ways you know looking at the longer uh you know worldview longer time of us you know being around even um, a couple of centuries ago was in, intensely more violent than mm-hmm. it is now, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think uh, we just are, uh, in some ways, more desensitized because of media, but also more disturbed because um, this seemed to come out of nowhere. And we have a lot of these episodes that just don't make any sense. And then there's a lot of um, political powerlessness. There's a lot of just, you know, uh, what do I do? Powerlessness. So you hear, you get, see a lot of anger right. uh, on social media, uh, a lot of worries, and um, and just a lot of hurt, a lot mm-hmm. of pain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, one, uh, Washington Post did a profile talking to family members, extended family members, and friends of the shooter, um, trying to understand him, and, and a lot of that would sound a lot like the Joker narrative mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just being somebody who was bullied and somebody who was uh, more internal and like, you know, I mean, very disturbingly like the Joker uh, who killed his mother before becoming the Joker. This uh, sh- shooter also killed his grandmother before going to the elementary school to, to do what he did. Um, and so just some really, you know, obviously disturbing elements there, mm-hmm. but in connection to the grooming we see in Beast of No Nation, uh, it's also a question of like what, there's so mi- so much information and so much that can be grooming you in terms mm-hmm. of, again, media desensitization or getting locked into, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a Facebook group or, um, whatever kind of, you know, uh, narrative that's out there that I start to, um, believe in or what is the motive. And right now, if we don't have a motive, it's even more disturbing. Right. Um, cause he's part of the same Latino community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so you can't just place racism on it as a motive and you can't just place your normal things 
makes it more mysterious and more difficult to come to terms with. Um, but certainly just a question of how you get to being that desensitized within yourself yeah. that you can uh, pull this off mm-hmm. um, and be motivated to do that beyond the how he got the AR-15s and right. all that stuff, which is its own you know kind of insanity. Right. Um, that we're dealing with and not uh, figuring out very quickly. Um, and so, you know, there's there's just a lot of layers there. But I think um, for me on, on my end in mental, mental health, um, it's just continuing to understand how and what is uh, promoting this sense of dehumanization uh, within myself that can be actually pro- projected violently um, or other, you know, not just uh, physically violent, but obviously emotionally violent and mm-hmm. psychologically violent. The number of ways that these things play out mm-hmm. um, is very difficult. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was reading a, a book recently that talked about this in terms of like trafficking, like, you know, and the idea of like no one really wakes up one day and just decides they're going to traffic someone or sure. And it comes through a long process of formations. I mean, cultural formation, like you're talking about, um, is, is such an important motivator in this kind of like world that we live in. And, you know, it goes back to like one of our long standing conversation. And in some sense, if we were naming the podcast today and we were just like looking at the themes of what we've talked about just in terms of our main episodic um, series, the uh, I think the one it would be like resisting nihilism, <laughs> a, a film series or film yeah, podcast no doubt. by no Cowell. Because I think that one of the senses one of the senses that we get from some of these films is that they kind of they scratch an itch within us that isn't necessarily the most healthiest expression yeah. of our humanity. Um, and I mean, you've got a lot of, uh, there's justifiably a lot of anger. You know, I, I know a lot of parents who themselves are, and you yourself are a parent. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping my kids off at school today, you know, right. it's its own form of, um, you know, again, um, powerlessness or right. fear, yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, with this, uh, it, connecting it back even to this movie, I mean, you've got that sense in which, you know, I, I, I'm haunted by the look on his father's face when he's telling his sons to run yeah no right because he knows that he's about to die yeah, yeah you know in a certain sense like there's that that powerlessness of, of war right mm-hmm. and, and the vi- of violence that happens to us and it, it really um it, it goes against kind of our general presupposition that we can control kind of so no much doubt. in our lives and tragedy is that one of those great awakeners that we're not always in control of these things and so it's just it's one of those things that i think that um it's a movie that maybe um like if especially if you are um really struggling right now with the um with the shootings um beast of no nation might be something you might want to wait a little bit on um put some distance between um but it definitely i think um is an interesting juxtaposition with it because the children aspect of it you know the 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 experience of like i saw for example um, like a jingle that a teacher had had come up with to help a kid understand um, a lockdown, right? Um, and it's you know it's it's definitely one of those things that is just at the edge of kind of our experience is always this this uh, this fear, this anxiety that that this violence will erupt somewhere next, close to us, right? No doubt. Um, yeah. I, I remember when this, there was a shooting at a theater for a showing of The Dark Knight, um, and I, I went oh, yeah. to I went to an opening night. Remember right? that. My family was very um, leery about me going to the opening of uh, sure. Dark Knight Rises for that reason, because there was this huge um, 
expectation that um, this was going to happen again. And so, um, you know, it's, I, it's just, I think it's a part of um, that generalized anxiety now about when's this and where's this going to happen next. But yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, the, the responsibility of the media, which is also powerless, but you know, yeah. as soon as one of these things happen, like it's, it's one of the best ways you can get attention. Yeah. Um, and again, that you can, you know, feel like you have meaning or purpose or something again, if that is actually a motivator. Um, and which is, you know, again, it's really depraved and sad and, yeah. but also to, you know, like my staying off of social media and not contributing to that, um, as much as I want to and not, I know you did and I think you had something good to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> not to, uh, passive aggressively yeah that's right no, I, I didn't i didn't get that yeah, yeah. i figured you but, would just tell me but just in okay. general you know i mean there's so much that's happening that contributes to uh the whole thing as we re go back around our loop um you know on social media around guns and and all that kind of stuff yeah that yeah. is not obviously not helping yeah like the cycle like the yeah. i think i saw this and i think it's pretty um uh, pretty i'm pretty obvious i don't i mean wherever you're on the side of this debate you know you have the event that's really traumatic um lots of outrage um and then it generally dies down and then it happens all over again and so you know the like it's it's interesting because i a lot of and i this is i mean i i did this took a hard turn into social media i think it's good though um Mm -hmm. the idea of like and i I don't know if you feel this way too as someone who's kind of tasked with the responsibility of being a, a public intellectual like people who are educated and and have received this stuff have a responsibility to share with the broader world um, what they have. And and as something I feel as a Christian ethicist, especially someone who's committed to nonviolence, like, Mm -hmm. you know, should I say something about this? Should I, should I dive into this? And I I really struggle with that because so much of what we think of as um, good scholarship now is really just a Facebook post. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think there's a, like a lot of it's just kind of reactionary poorly researched, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and, and the problem is, is that sometimes when you platform everyone, um, every, like a lot of really bad takes get platformed along with you. And, and the stuff that I posted that Kyle's referring to is stuff from my, my, uh, my first book, um, where I talked about the, and I think this is generally where I got to is like to, to read history from the place of, of the crucified is to look at the meaning and, and importance of history and judging history the lens of those who've been slaughtered needlessly mm-hmm. um and i think i i really do think that that's important and the, and the whole hope of of the resurrection is that the lives that are lost in kind of this way have have the opportunity to play out into eternity in the way that was taken from them mm-hmm. in in the present and so you know that doesn't directly confront on the face of it gun violence or you know laws that are something like that but i think what it does is presents I, a, an important kind of standard about where we need to be in, in history uh, and where we need to like think from. And you know, the, we've been talking about like in the podcast where movies challenge us to think from. So like the Joker asks us to think from a place that's very different than say the Passion of, the Joan of, uh, mm-hmm. Passion of Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, it's a responsibility. I, this is something that's kind of in the background of what I'm hearing you say. It's the yeah, responsibility sure. of people who make media, not just news media, but film media yeah to help us think from places that are neglected from the places of of people like agu here who are um especially you know depending on where you live i mean a lot of places the suffering of people are just uh, invisible to us yeah 
and and here's here's a reality for a, a lot of a generation of boys who've, who've grown up in africa and had to yeah. um because of a lot of destabilization um over there and in the i mean you bring up sin nobre um absolutely and, and even in the just the global south in general um who who their suffering is invisible to us uh, in in really profound ways and what it means to be faithful to them um as well um but yeah any any kind of final thoughts on on that portion before we kind of dive back into the movie a little bit yeah no not necessarily except for i mean which again i think does apply to the movie is just what does um healing look like uh from each of these events and from Mm -hmm. any event that you're connected to or organization you care about um in terms of ministry or uh anything Mm -hmm. um is you know where do we put um our energy towards but ultimately also uh as you've already brought up about the end of this movie you know what does healing look like uh surrounding you know uh things that have been taken away from you or uh suffering so one of the things that you can assume is happening with the texas school shooter is Mm -hmm. that he suffered and he wants other people to suffer. Right. Um, and in that, obviously he's not had support. He's not found healing. Mm -hmm. Um, whether, you know, partly his responsible responsibility to pursue that, but also as we know, um, in many of these, uh, aspects in poverty in our own country and in the, uh, the rest of the world that if you don't have support, you know, you're vulnerable. Um, and if all you know is suffering, um, you're going to project that, project that out. And so Mm -hmm. even just, you know, for the families involved in this, but also for all of us to continue to, uh, recognize what that is for us is obviously important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the contrast I, I put here is between that scene where, Agu's kind of in his uh, in back in school uniform, back in kind of like reading the Bible mode, mm-hmm. versus the bridge scene, um, which yeah. is the, that scene where the commandant, uh, played by uh, Idris Elba, which I mean, does a, just a really profound performance. And I've been told that in the movie, um, <clears throat> the commandant figure actually comes across as much warmer and fatherly and and likable in some scenes than yeah. than he does in the book, which is apparently he's he's rough at all and so the the bridge scene is him kind of hyping up these boys to go out and you know participate in you know killing some soldiers and taking a bridge and and dying possibly yep um you know and and i think that you know that versus the kind of calm of like uh because he's taking advantage of that relationship obviously by hyping them up the commandant is but then juxtapose at the end, like, you know, like it's, it's good for you to be here, you know? Yeah. Um, you don't need to be perfect at this right away. Like just give it time, right? Healing is, is time in some sense. And one character that I do want to mention and get your thoughts on kind of in this healing process is striker, right? The other boy that is kind of the main, yeah. uh, like friend of a mm-hmm. goo and, and he, uh, dies rather tragically just in the, in the woods. Um, uh, kind of getting shot in the side and then slowly yep. dying over there. And, and, you know, he's, he's such a powerful character because he's the one kind of source of like innocence that he, the Agu has left and, and support and friendship and things like that. And, and, you know, that was the one where I just, that was, I think was the final like kick in the gut. I was like, man, I did not think it could get any worse for him. And now it has, because uh, you've got that just scene of him 
carrying him through the forest um, yep. on his back, and and clearly he's yep. he's passed, and um, and yeah, they become brothers. Yeah, they become yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's that kind of like healing. What does healing look like when all you've known is suffering and death? Yeah, um, and that's a hard one. Yeah, absolutely. And so and to that, and I think uh, it was either that bridge scene you're talking about. Um, I believe it was. But it's where the everything, like he's taken drugs for the first time. Right. Um, and they head out there and everything turns red mm-hmm. uh, in his vision, yeah. which becomes our vision. So the leaves uh, on the trees and on the grass and the grass, so everything that's green turns red and becomes mm-hmm. his vision of hell. Right. Um, essentially, right? Which again connects to that picture in Cinebre. And the clouds of smoke after they've done all this damage hides the sun. And so it's just very, very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and again, that leads into a couple of different uh, really dark scenarios that, uh, that are brutal, including harming other children. Right. Um, but the whole thing, coming back to Stryka, when he is killed, that actually opens up um, the, the next... Uh, or, or late part of the movie, which does start to move towards healing. Um, so sunlight actually em- emerges after Stryka dies, and mm-hmm. this loss has, has actually awakened something else or the mm-hmm. possibility of something mm-hmm. else. Um, that then coincides with, one, one, we've learned about corruption at this point. Um, their commander has left um the their whole structure because he did not get promoted in fact he got demoted and Mm. then killed the guy who got promoted uh above him and so everything's falling apart um and now they have like they have they have you know uh no support around them or no allies Mm -hmm. so there's in the bush trying to make a new village on their own they have no water no food um and so or bullets they have you know they literally are are have nothing and everybody is ready to you know, go in, a dire- go in a different direction, um, except for their narcissistic Idris Elba, you know, commander, mm-hmm. um, who is trying to psychologically manipulate them into thinking they will just be killed or uh, imprisoned or whatever. And some of that is is true, but all in a way to try to keep them there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a thing that happens. I think it's important, again, to the, like, the more Christian structure uh, or spiritual structure happening here is that they they physically turn away from him. Mm. Um, and so inscription, this is something I used in a lot of my workshops, um, both for marriage and just generally for uh, mental health. But this idea in the Bible that the word turn or turning is used over 400 times in the Bible. Mm. Mm. And now a lot of that, probably a hundred of them are, it just says Jesus turned to the disciples. Um, <laughs> but a lot of it, you know, I highlighted, um, some of the scriptures in Hebrews and Corinthians and Acts where it fiz- uh, they're, they're talking about turning towards God, mm-hmm. the act of turning away, fleeing from the devil and turning towards God, right? And so this is a fleeing from the devil moment mm-hmm. uh, as they leave and he becomes powerless. He, the devil uh, commander, uh, loses his power, loses his grip there, and they turn towards something else, which for Agu mm-hmm. is turning back towards um, this church context, Christian context, um, and uh, a counselor who cares about him, who wants to support him, um, you know, boys be- becoming a child again, if that's right. possible, um, and, and then ending with the, the visual um, hopeful scene with the ocean, as you already brought up, yeah. and, um, and, and joining, and he's also rejoining uh, when he does that. 
uh, first he's on the margins, they're all in the ocean, and he runs out into the ocean, and that's the end of the movie. Right. Um, so anyways, I think that that um, turning away from the devil uh, there explicitly, the narcissist, uh, towards, you know, community and, mm. and healing is, is obviously a huge marker that's, again, hard to – it's such a short little bit, um, and we're all re- trying to recover from everything we've just seen. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, obviously having not actually been that person, but even just witnessing it, um, it's kind of, like, hard to yeah. uh, recover from, to turn away from ourselves. Yeah. But I think that that's a powerful part of the narrative. Yeah, and I, I mean, just to kind of jump off of that, I think one of the things that's really powerful about that, too, is that my favorite part of Scripture that uses that language of turning toward is actually oftentimes sometimes translated a little bit different. It's um, it's a benediction, and it's Paul saying, "May you know, may the may God's face shine upon you and grant you peace." Mm. But in the in this in literal sense, it's may God turn His face towards mm. you. And in some sense, like as He's turning away from the devil, as He says, mm-hmm. there's this new character that's introduced that both of them looking at Him directly, even as He's not like you know, you just see these shots of like the person looking, and so there's this new face kind of turning towards you. And I think that's also really powerful because, you know, the second part of that phrase is, and may, may, may he grant you peace. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's th- right. that turning is, is so powerful. And, and it really, you know, one of the things I'm struck with, and it's hard, I recently was on, um, led a panel on, on Ukraine and we brought a person from Nazarene, um, which is the denomination that I'm a part of, um, the, our refugee kind of care. And he's, he's somebody who's very committed to, to nonviolence, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm told that you know him too. Yeah, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Sipes. Yeah. yeah, and and I, someone asked him because he's he's a very known like public pro, uh, practitioner of nonviolence, proponent of it, and someone asked him like, what do we do with this as people who are supposed to be nonviolent? And and he says, you know, I don't know. Like he says, I know that um, like I um, want you know Putin to suffer inside of me because you're talking about Ukraine, mm-hmm, but I sure. know at the same time like that this story of peace is true yeah and you know it, when you think about nonviolence in comparison to just like the war that's displayed in beast of no nation it seems pretty hopeless but when you think about the virtues necessary for nonviolence for the healing of a goo like it makes a lot more sense like maybe that's how it confronts it on the ground is that a person who suffered and only known war and, and pain that they need that and and i use this phrase kind of specifically and you can tell me if this is right or wrong the non-anxious non-violent presence <laughs> in in someone's life yeah to help them turn as you're as you've yeah. highlighted here from violence to something else in some sense it has to pre- be presented as a more attractive virtue than the way of death and you know i i think even you're right i wish that that last scene would have been a little bit longer because there's some interesting things to tease out between how agu is experiencing this new place and preacher is um, yeah sure and how the attractiveness of the life of um, not being a, a soldier can can be presented to a child because one of the things that I, I believe fully about childhood is that play is such an important theological moral um, I mean just spiritual yeah experience yeah. for a kid and you know that's where we kind of leave him is play and playing mm-hmm. and that's a kind of a sense of a healing of humanity in a certain sense but it's I, I i look at like people always ask the questions like what does nonviolence do to confront global war and i my answer has to be what this family's doing here with these ch- child soldiers 
um, it's a it's a place of healing for them where violence is not is not required of them anymore. Yeah. Again, the turning towards them and granting them peace Absolutely. I think, as a benediction of the movie might be the way to think through some of the lar- larger messy themes of this. No, absolutely, man. And again, like, you know, nonviolence is not cynical. You, right. It has to believe in something greater. It has to believe in possibility um, and and pursue it, you know, turn towards it. And violence is inherently cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's scared, right? right. It's, it's um, a part of our idolization of security. Um, and addiction to security, right? right? And so when we're locked into that, mm-hmm. we're unable to see these other possibilities that um, that we have such <clears throat> also have historical uh, evidence of nonviolence being what it is and, and promoting uh, the hope through struggle and through suffering. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and I think from the film standpoint to allow for that, mm-hmm is obviously also not cynical compared to right. uh, Parasite or Joker, <clears throat> which absolutely just promotes this kind of like cynical worldview mm-hmm. that just contributes to violence. Right. And then for some reason is celebrated um, in, in culture. Right. Um, which is very weird. So I think that that is, again, just something to, to be aware of. Yeah. Um, and that nonviolence uh, doesn't ultimately answer a lot of questions, but again, it's turning towards something, right? right yeah. How am I turning towards nonviolence versus turning towards violence? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and asking those questions of myself and what's possible in the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. Um, as opposed to this overwhelming, what do we do about the bajillion things we're not in That's control right. of? That's right. Um, which is a burden, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in part of our modern, you know, psychology that's difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, but the fact that, again, um, Fukunaga allows for even, you know, when they get separated from their dad, that whole thing happens. There's the witch, you know, who's put this curse on them. Um, and which, again, only promotes a sense of uh, what evil, evil is a part of this. Right. Um, it's not just political. Right. Uh, but it's obviously, it's also a very political movie. It's yeah. lots of politics happening. Um, but I really appreciate Fukunaga's ability to, whether that's from the book or not, but again, based on Team Nobre, I think this is part of what he brings to it uh, as a director, and that, that that part of it is something to you know contend with. Yeah, the, the kind of the spiritual nature of it. And I know that this is an area of expertise for you. You know, oftentimes we think of, and I, I mentioned this in class based on kind of our conversations together, in time, terms of a, I mean, justification is a bad word because I don't think nonviolence is something that needs to be defended in that way, in the way that, you know, just war violence does. But mm-hmm. in some sense, like, n- nonviolence is not just a posture towards conflict. It's also a posture towards your own inner conflict. And um, that's one of the things that Absolutely. the spiritual piece comes out. And so, like, the necessary tools that one would need to, to confront conflict in a larger scale should be the way that we think about ourselves internally. And I think that's the great strength, and maybe I'm misspeaking, of, of your approach to mental health is kind of these developing these tools that themselves serve in both places. Um, and, yeah, you're right, that that, sp- <laughs> that old spiritual piece with the, the witch um, who... Cr- puts a curse on his family and, and, you know, he kind of lives that out. And in some sense, like the, I, I love the the point that you make about nonviolence that it's, it's, it's very aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, one of the great kind of myths I think of, of nonviolence that a lot of people 
seem to think is that you know you, you you're just gonna let people die while you do nothing and i think that that's that's true of both like you're gonna watch innocent people die whether you're a a war like you know hyper realist war um kind of like hawkish person or whether you are a strict person to nonviolence, you always watch innocent people people you love suffer and die as a result of your convictions and so i think that it's a very realist look at the world um but you know in some sense like the <laughs> i i go back to the this this couple right this this non-anxious presence that are, are promoting this kind of idea of peace and i i think of the whole idea of like you know the the patience of love the kindness of love all of these things that you see in in first corinthians that paul talks about in mm -hmm. relationship to christian virtue you know their the faith hope and love arise from this kind of patience this kind of kindness and um, you see that in in this way it's it's not i mean they know who these these kids are they know what they've experienced but i think it's also a gritty stubborn i'll use that word optimism that grace mm -hmm. grace is kind of the power of of healing mm -hmm. and i think that's that's something that you like the last scenes of the movie like because you've been through some rough stuff like it, it, it's just nice it feels like almost like aloe on like burnt skin sure <laughs> in a certain sense because absolutely and I think that's what grace means, you know, in that sense. It pierces through the darkness, as you kind of mentioned, even in the, the death of Stryka, um, and, mm -hmm. and, and sheds light, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important um, as we not only think through this film, but our world um, as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Any kind of final thoughts as we're wrapping up here? on uh, Beast of No Nation or um, really anything, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, the last interesting little uh, thing I noticed at the beginning is when mm -hmm. they're in the classroom, I think, and they're just learning letters. Yeah. Uh, they, they use B is for butterfly, mm -hmm. which, again, um, obviously implies the transformation, yep. the quality, the baptism uh, piece at the end and, and um, kind of wraps us up into this spiritual journey that's maybe the most disturbing spiritual journey I've yeah. ever witnessed. <laughs> Um, but still, you know, it, it applies, uh, coming back to rites of passage, coming back to, um, you know, being open to something like nonviolence, um, and allowing ourselves to, to be transformed by these things that are opposed yeah. to violence. They're opposed to cynicism, mm -hmm. uh, and they, they suggest, you know, this miracle of, you know, yeah. going inside, uh, and coming out, you know, uh, this new creature. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that was on purpose, you know, as well in the movie and that that's, um, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> it's, it's been a, a wild kind of journey, like thinking through all these films, cause just how wildly different are the films we've covered in terms of, you know, everything from, um, a brave new world to Joker to, you know, even all the way back to our first podcast talking about Halloween, you know, yeah, this is uh it's, it's very interesting to kind of like, and not end here. I mean, this isn't the end of the podcast, but, um, to kind of think about our cycle and where we've gone and, and, you know, the, I think of the thing you, you've mentioned quite clearly many times is that we need films that will help us reconcile with the seriousness of the world, but also the seriousness of the hope. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I, I think that that, is something that the film does. Um, it's it's hard, very hard to watch, um, and I think just because of the subject matter of kids, but nonetheless, I think that it's there if you're willing to look for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that'll about wrap it up for us on this episode uh, seven of the Art House Roadshow. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find a way to support the podcast, 
uh, please uh, leave us a review on whatever platform uh, you listen to us on. It really helps other people find us. Um, we just passed 500, um, so I wanted to say with Kyle here, thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, however often you listen, if this is your first podcast for your, or you've listened to all 26 of the, the content episodes we have, um, thank you. Uh, it means a lot. It's not as much as some of the bigger podcasts, but we appreciate every listen you get. There's more stuff coming uh, your way. You'll see a little bit of reviews of the Obi-Wan series, and then Kyle and I will be back with some real fun stuff that we're hoping you're going to really enjoy. So be well. Please stay safe. Take care of yourself. Um, this is a difficult time. We're going to get through it together. So be well, everyone. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time. <laughs>